Well, Winston Churchill once attended a funeral, or actually a banquet, I'm sorry, at a, uh, this is quite a difference there, I don't know what it is. He attended a banquet, and there was a group of guests there around the table, and they were going around, they were having some fun. This is why this wasn't at a funeral, okay, it was at a banquet. And, uh, and he was starting, they were asking questions very well, and the question that the host asked was, if you could not be who you are, who would you like to be? If you could not be who you are, who would you like to be? And everyone was curious as to what Winston Churchill would say. And he was the last one to make his statement. And the question around the table and it came to him. And he stood and he said, if I could not be who I am, I would most like to be. And he paused dramatically as only Winston Churchill could do. He took his wife, Cammie's hand. And he said, I would like to be Lady Churchill's second husband. (laughs) Now, he certainly scored some points that day. And his comments also apply to all of us who are part of a good marriage, right? We would love to to do that all over again. Well, this morning, I want to start off this morning and ask uh, for a little show of hands here. How many of you have uh, been married more than 20 years? Raise your hand. Okay. More than 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, more than 60 years, we've got a couple, 65 years. Okay, we were at 60, right? A couple back here, 60 how many years? 60, and you? Back over here, we had someone else was 60, didn't we? Nope, 60, okay. Would you guys come on up here? I've got a special prize for you. Let's congratulate them. <laughs> 60 years of marriage. Uh, this is a book that has been uh, just an amazing book. And even though you've been married 60 years, there are still more to come, right? This is a book called Sacred Marriage. And uh, we just want to give that to you as a gift to celebrate and to honor you guys for 60 years. Let's give them another round of applause. Thank you, guys. Now, do we have any engaged couples in here? I think we do. Were you guys also 60? We had two 60 years couples. All right. I'll get you another guys another set of books. 60 years for them as well. They were sitting right behind each other there. So. 60 years. Do we have any engaged couples in here? I think we do. Yes. We've got at least one. Any other engaged couples in here? All right. Well, then you guys win this prize. I want to thank you guys. Yes. Well, let's give them a round of applause. <laughs> Hope that God joins your union together. It's a great marriage, and we're excited for you guys. Uh, This book that we've given out is a book called Sacred Marriage by a gentleman named Gary Thomas. And uh, that book, it looks big. The first half of it is actually uh, the book portion. And the second half, for all of you couples here, is uh, devotionals that you can do together. And it's amazing times that my wife and I have done these off, on and off throughout the years. Uh, times for you just to read together, share together. And uh, we just want to take a moment to honor those marriages uh, that are almost just starting out in 60 plus years. And so uh, I just want us to, to just honor those this morning. Because the, the reality is, is that marriages are, are often under attack. And today, especially, we see uh, the disintegration of marriages and family and that union, that sacred union between a man and a woman. Now, we've been in this series called You Don't Complete Me. We've been talking about what it means to have God-centered, gospel-centered relationships. Uh, And we know the stats for marriages, don't we? 
Uh, we see them, though, it, it, they debate on which, which is the exact numbers. It could be anywhere between 30% and upwards of 50% of marriages don't make it. And the reality is, is that the numbers within the church, those who are following Jesus, they aren't really that much different. And so we see that there's a problem within our marriages, that something is going on that these unions between a man and a woman are not working out the way that God intended. And in order for us to talk about marriage, we have to define marriage, right? Now, marriage is the God-ordained sacred covenant that happens when a man and a woman enter into a covenant relationship. Matthew 19, verse 4 says this. And he answered them and he said, this is Jesus. He says, have you not read that he who created from the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no person is to separate. We've been talking over the past few weeks about our relationships and how we manage those relationships in a God-honoring way. In the first week, we saw that we are all made in the image of God. Jesus is actually quoting here, beginning of Genesis, that man, they were created male and female, that we were created in the image of God. When a man joins with a woman in marriage, God is the center of that. He says, let no man separate so we see the first principle that we get out of scriptures here and for our points today is that marriage is a sacred union. Marriage is a sacred union. Now, what does union mean? A un- the, un- the definition of union is unity in oneness. We talked last week about being single, right? Not that you are less than, but you are one, that you are already whole, So the definition of a sacred union is unity and oneness, the state of being one. Remember, not less than, one. Especially that which has never been divided or which cannot be resolved into parts. Union is bringing together of things that have been distinct so they could combine to form a new whole. Last week, we talked about what it means to be single. Living the single life isn't living in a state of incompleteness, or waiting or longing for us to find Mr. Right or Mr. or Mrs. Right is not something that we do so we can be made whole. We saw that we're made complete in Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.10 says, so you also are complete through your union with Christ. So when we quote, the two will become one flesh, it isn't two halves becoming whole. It's two individuals with all that makes them individuals becoming something new. That's the sacred union of marriage. And we see this first coming together in the sacred union in Genesis, back in the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, what does it mean to be a suitable helper? This passage is often used to paint the incorrect understanding of the roles of men and women especially within a marriage. This isn't a scripture that says that the man is the woman's maid or his personal assistant or somehow lesser. Remember, both men and women were created in the image of God. Genesis 3.28 or Galatians 3.28 says, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all equal. The phrase suitable helper 
It doesn't mean that you're somehow less than. It's actually the Hebrew word azer. Azer. Say that together. Azer. The term azer occurs 21 times in the Old Testament. In Genesis 2, it applies twice to Eve, as we see here, the first woman. Three more times, it's talking about powerful nations that Israel sought to help them during tough times. But the other 16 times this word is used in the Bible, it's about God being our helper. Deuteronomy chapter 33, 29, you'll see up on the screen, or 26. There is no one like God of Israel. He rides the heavens to help, to azer you across the skies in majestic splendor. Next one from, I believe in Psalms 89. For you are their glory and strength. This is the same word, azer. And by your favor, you exalt our horn. The next verse, we see this. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help, our azer, and our shield. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help, my azer, come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I think there's one more. Nope, that's it. There are lots more, though. There are 21 times that this appears. But God created the woman as an azer. And it's not an assistant, We see what this word means throughout Scripture. In the the book, Man and Woman, One in Christ, Philip Payne put it this way. He said, the noun used here, azer, throughout the Old Testament does not suggest helper, as in a servant, but our Savior, rescuer, protector, as in God is our help. In no occurrences in the Bible does this refer to an inferior, but at least to an equal, but often when it's talking about God, to a superior. Help expresses that the woman is the help, the strength that provides rescue and relief and in many ways saves the man. So when we say the woman is an azer, it's not about being inferior because God himself is described as an azer. The woman was not created to serve the man, but to serve with the man. This isn't a word to use to describe the man's sidekick. It's a word that carries with it the strength power and rescue and relief. So what's the point of marriage, of joining these two together? We saw last week that marriage isn't something that's required of Christians. Paul said that being single is actually a gift, but marriage is also a gift. And if singleness is a gift that allows us to focus on carrying out the work of the Lord with less distractions, we saw that last week, what is the gift of marriage for? Is it for our happiness Is it to enjoy the companionship? Is it to have someone cook our meals? Is it to get better tax breaks? To cut down on our housing costs? To have someone to grow old with? Is it to have someone to fulfill all our sexual desires? What's the mission of marriage? Now, those things might all be blessings that come from our lives together, but they aren't the point of marriage. Gary Thomas, in this book that we handed out this morning, Sacred Marriage, said this, what if God didn't design marriage for our happiness, our comfort, our desire to be infatuated? What if God designed marriage more to make us holy than to make us happy? So how can marriage make you more holy? You're saying, well, I'm not married. There's still some principles we can take out of this. Maybe you're going to be married soon. How can marriage, the marriage that you're in, the marriage that you might be in, or even the relationships that we're going to see this principle applies, how can our marriages, though, make us more holy? 
You might be wondering, why do I have a big ladder up here? You might have seen this illustration before. And if you have, it's a good reminder. If you haven't, this might just change the trajectory of your marriage. If you're single and you have a desire to be married one day, pay attention to this. This illustration has the potential to save you from heartache and potentially thousands of dollars in counseling. So I'm going to ask the bears if they would come on up. They're going to be my volunteers this morning. Let's welcome up the bears this morning. Yeah. We'll clear the path here for you. Now, how long have you guys been married? I, I, <clears throat> how long have you guys been married? 15 years. 15 years. Would you have got that right? You would have gotten it right. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. 15 years they have been together. And if you guys take a step, uh, Katie, would you get on that side? Don't stand on the ladder yet, but you're going to stand here. Now, when two people enter the sacred union of marriage, I, I'm afraid to stand on the ladder. You know, they say that's bad luck, but I don't know if that's a big deal or not. They're making a commitment And the covenant that we already talked about, that Jesus spoke of in Matthew, that each of you are going to leave the safety and security of your families, of your past, and you're going to step into something new. Step on the first rung of the ladder for me, would you? So they have now joined together in a covenantal relationship. This is representing their marriage. And you can see strategically, what is at the center of their marriage? Jesus, right? The cross. Jesus. Christ is the center of their marriage. And they have joined, they have created this new covenant together as they enter into this relationship. I mean, what do we say at the end of our wedding? I wasn't at your guys' wedding, but you probably said something like, what man is joined together, or what God is joined together, let no man separate, right? And then you may kiss your bride, and you can do that a little later. (laughs) So God has joined this together. He's the center of this relationship. It's no longer just the two of you. I've got some props here I need to pull out. Yeah. This is why there's a difference between a marriage that God has joined together and just a legal union, right? I mean, you can even in some states, just by living together for a certain amount of time, you're common law married, they call that. That's not quite the same thing, right? Because you've entered into this covenantal relationship with God as the center. God has put this thing together. There's a union. Here's your union, all right? This is going to represent your union there, this rod there. There's something. This is their purpose. This is what they're here on earth to do. Now, ultimately, each of them is here to get closer to Christ, right? They were each created in the image of God. They're growing closer to Jesus. But now there's something new that's here. Their purpose, their mission statement, what their marriage is all about. And this is what's amazing. They have 15 years already under their belt, and they're going to have so many more of discovering what this mission is what their point of their marriage is, right? It's going to include some things, like maybe God is going to, I know that this is the case, Uh, this this is our props here, I mean, God is going to add family, right? So they have kids, they've got some wonderful daughters. Uh, maybe part of your mission of your marriage is you've got a business together or, uh, you know, you've got a ministry that you're doing together. There's just so many different things that God is going to bless you with. He's going to put together these purposes for your marriage. All these things, now, these are pretty light hangers, but th- these weigh down our lives in many ways. They add some extra stress, some extra things that have to be done. And so God created them to work together to be able to hold it. See, they're cheating by resting that on there, but they've got to hold that, right? I mean, they have to hold that up there. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't school them ahead of time what we're doing here, so they've, uh, they had to mess with that there. 
But this gift now they have, this purpose that they have, they're working together for that. And if they are doing what God has asked them to do, they're actually growing closer to Jesus. Take one step up. Yeah, they're growing closer to Christ as they carry out this mission. They're a team. They're, they're in discipleship as they become more like Jesus. And they're carrying this mission for the glory of God. But then, as some things often happen, the husband, Alex here, he starts to get tired. I mean, maybe his job has gotten stressful, right? And he's spending more time at work than he is on this, on carrying, helping Katie carry all this weight. And then he gets home, and instead of helping around the house or helping carry out this mission, he sits and plays video games. Now, this isn't Alex. You know, that's just in general, this could happen. Alex would never do that. But he begins to get tired, and he's stressed out. And it starts with his job, but then it extends to this, and then it extends to his relationship with God. And he's not only just sitting on the couch playing video games, he stops praying. He stops this journey of becoming more like Jesus. And Katie over here, I mean, she's now carrying this weight, and, and he's, he's not pulling his weight, right? And she's sitting here, she's like, come on, Alex, step it up, man. I mean, work a little harder, right? So Katie is now holding weight that she was never intended to hold. And this, honestly, this is, I want to stop here for a second. This is where I think so many of our marriages are. You go, well, this looks fine, you know, but they're stuck because one or more partners is no longer carrying what they're supposed to be carrying and they're no longer moving closer to Christ. And so this is a picture of what our marriages look like. They're not awful, but they're not what they could be. They're stuck. And if that's you, you might be thinking, well, if he or she would just change, I mean, Katie's over here, if, if Alex would just get off the couch, then we could move up this ladder. And maybe they do need to change. Maybe you do need to change. But you can't change your spouse. How many of you guys already know that, right? This isn't rocket science. You know that you can't change your spouse. You can want them to change, but you can't keep them going up this ladder. You can encourage them and you can pray for them, but you can't change them. That doesn't mean you don't want them to change. But you have a role in this. It's not to change them. It's prayer and encouragement and influence because only God can change a heart. Psalm 139.22 says this. You'll see up here on the screen. I want to read it for you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. This is the way that most of us read this, though. Test Alex and know Alex's anxious thoughts. Point out anything in Alex that offends me and lead him along the path of everlasting life. Right? That's how many of us approach our marriages. That's not what this passage tells us. It says, search me. And so there's one thing you can do besides just prayer and encourage your spouse, and that's to pray for yourself. Search me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This prayer is about you. You can pray for your spouse, but pray for yourself. Because sometimes, oftentimes, you need to change. Now, you might be looking at this and you think, yes, this is actually my problem. Uh, maybe, 
Alex, you take a step down. Maybe you're in a union with someone. See what's already happening with this? Maybe you're in a union with someone that's not even. Someone who isn't even trying to climb up that ladder to become more like Jesus. You might be married to someone who isn't walking with Christ. Maybe they were and they stopped. Or maybe they never were. That makes going up this ladder, that makes this marriage so much tougher. But you're not without hope. The Apostle Peter spoke about this. He said, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Here's why. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by your behavior. And they will see the purity and reverence of your lives. And we're not going to spend time talking necessarily about the roles of men and women in here. Angie and I did a lesson on that last year. We went through Ephesians, if you want to take a look at that online. But if your marriage looks like this, one of you is on the ladder working their way up to Christ and the other isn't, you're not without hope. But you can have prayer and influence. Prayer that starts with you. What do I need to do? Now, what do they need to do? What do I need to do? Test me, Lord. Show me where I need to grow. But then you can have influence. Katie can have influence on Alex by living her life, walking up this ladder, holding weight that she wasn't intended to hold on her own. Being an influence over Alex so that Alex might be won over. Okay, back to you guys. You guys are being patient. I know you're standing here holding this. You've been at this a while, but maybe you're not feeling it anymore. Alex, you can step back up and get even with your wife there. All right. You're stuck though, remember? <laughs> Good job. When you first started out, Katie, you looked at Alex and you were just so impressed with his walk with Christ. The leadership that he had, the way that he was carrying this weight, this authority that God had given him as head of the household. He was growing more like Christ, but now he, he's stuck, right? You guys are stuck there. And Katie you don't seem to be so special in Alex's eyes anymore. This is all hypothetical, of course. <laughs> None of this is true. I mean, because you're so focused on carrying this that maybe Alex is getting the attention that he once was. And maybe they're holding so tight to this purpose, these things that they're in their life, which are good, kids, job, businesses, ministries, things they're doing, the purpose they have, but they're holding on so tight that they're not paying attention to each other. And they're stuck. And Alex is a little jealous of how much time Katie's spending with the kids. Or both of you are clinging tighter and reaching out, trying to hold on to each other. And, and things might start to improve. Because these guys have a relationship with Jesus. But remember, they're stuck. And so they, they start attending a marriage retreat. Or, or they're spending time uh, trying to... to serve each other, do all great things, right? They establish date nights and, and they're trying to work it out. But here's the best free marriage advice you're ever gonna get, okay? Take a few steps up the ladder. Do another one if you're comfortable. Yeah, okay. Katie's got this. What's happening as they grow closer to Christ? They're becoming closer to each other, right? You probably have seen this before. I, this isn't... Some amazing revelation, but think about this. The key to their marriage, them growing closer, more intimate with each other, having a close relationship, isn't trying to figure out this in between each other. It's them growing closer to Jesus. As they grow closer to Jesus, all of those things somehow 
in this mystery, this miraculous gift of God, they begin to change. They begin to feel closer with each other. See, the key to your marriage becoming a great marriage is you becoming more like Christ. You guys have a step down. I appreciate it. Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you for standing there holding that for so long. Thank you, guys. See, the key to your marriage becoming a great marriage isn't trying to figure it out. It isn't trying to find the right person. It's for you to become more like Christ. As you draw closer to Christ, you naturally draw closer to each other. You're a child of God, remember, created in his image. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Above all else is to getting closer to Christ. As important as all this stuff was and is, your purpose is to seek the kingdom. And as you seek the kingdom, as you become the person that God created you to be, connected to him in a deep, intimate relationship, all the rest of that in your marriage begins to grow and flourish. The key to your marriage becoming a great marriage is you becoming more like Christ. See, when both of you are on that path, your marriage, you're working together to accomplish whatever it is that he's given you, takes on new meaning and new life. Mutual submission, it's not a problem. You're both becoming more like Jesus and that changes the way that you treat each other. The relationship isn't based on getting your needs met. It's about fulfilling together his purpose, which is for you to be more like Jesus. I mean, wives, I promise you, if your husband is on this pathway, moving up the rungs to be closer to Jesus, you'll have no problem submitting to his leadership as he grows more like Jesus. And husbands, you'll have no problem laying down your desire to love your own desires and to love and honor your wife as she grows more like Jesus. You'll both grow in comfort and trust with each other because you know where you're headed and who you're striving to look more like. See, there's a profound mystery at work in all this. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, he says, the scriptures say a man leaves his father and mother. He's quoting the words of Jesus, who's quoting the words of Moses back in Genesis, and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And here's what Paul says. This is a great mystery, and it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. The fact that marriage is a picture of the gospel is so important. And that's why any other version of this without Christ in the center, is destructive because it dishonors and distorts the image that marriage was designed to present. So no matter how good a spouse you are or have, we're going to let each other down. Those examples I said about Alex and Katie, that's not them. But as awesome as they are and as God-focused as the relationship is, they are letting each other down. It happens But Jesus is the perfect bridegroom. He lovingly pulls us up the ladder closer to him. We take two steps up, sometimes three steps down, or we get stuck. We may even choose to get off the ladder altogether, but Jesus says, we are one. I'm not going to give up on you. So in your marriage, no matter where you might be standing on that ladder, whether you're down here about to get on, whether you're 
one or two rungs up, whether you feel like you have grown together and you're almost at the end. This ladder, this marriage is an opportunity for you to show the world Christ's love and his love for the church. It's a living witness of who Jesus is. So you image Jesus as you grow in love and respect for your spouse. You image him as you learn to be more gentle, kind, and maybe even long-suffering. You image Jesus as you join together with your spouse to do the work that God has placed on your lives, both individually and as a couple. So how can your marriage be an image of Christ's love for the church? Just a few quick examples. Maybe in your small groups, in your community, in your growth groups, here at church, can people see how you function as a unit? How you treat each other? As you open up as the people that are in your sphere, as they get a peek into your lives, do they see this reflected, two people growing more like Jesus, working through their struggles, but going up closer to Jesus together. As individuals of the people you're with, do, do they hear the way that you speak about your spouse? And does that reflect the image of Christ in his church? This is a big one for a lot of us, right? We complain a lot of it we do jokingly, the way we talk about our spouses. But is the way you speak of your spouse in private and in public, does it reflect this image of you growing closer more to closer to Jesus? Does it reflect the way that Jesus speaks of his church? How can one spouse come along the other to be their azer, to help fuel their God-given passions and make progress towards the purpose that God has placed on them? Do people see that, how you help each other? In the midst of struggles, maybe it's health issues, financial issues, even relationship issues. Angie and I have walked through difficult, I don't want to say days or moments, seasons where we weren't sure if we were going to be able to do what was required of this. But we stood on the ladder and we walked closer to Jesus. And that's what we have to do in those moments. And to the world, do they see that reflected in our marriages? Or do they see people who, when, when things get rough, when it starts to become uneven, just get off. Just get off the ladder. What kind of example are you setting in your marriage? In the way you work through disagreements? Because here's the deal. Your marriage is an example you're showing the world. We are showing the world. As we say, we're in a union with Christ. God is the center of our marriage. Here's what it looks like. That's what the world is seeing in our marriages. In the way you discipline your children, your marriage is an example. In the way you sacrifice or you don't sacrifice for your spouse, your marriage is an example. In the way you take interest in what is important to your spouse, your marriage is an example. We're running out of time here, but I want to come back to Gary Thomas's quote that I mentioned earlier. That marriage isn't about making us happy, it's to make us holy, to help make us more like Jesus. Because the beautiful truth about this is this. That the more holy each person in the marriage becomes, the more like Jesus each person looks, the happier your marriage will be.
Because Christ-likeness, becoming more like Jesus, being a fully devoted disciple of Jesus brings joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, the fruits of the Spirit, to your marriage. You want your husband to be more kind. He needs to be more like Christ. You want your spouse to be more patient, your wife to be more patient, whatever it might be, become more like Christ. All of these things are foundations for a great marriage. So I want to leave you with a few questions. Is your marriage helping you grow in holiness? Is your marriage helping you grow in holiness? Is your marriage helping you grow in purpose? Are you carrying even the right things with your spouse? Is your marriage setting an example for those around you of the way that Christ loved the church? What example? You are setting an example with your marriage. What example is it setting? I hope that those of you who are married will talk about this with your spouse, maybe over lunch or sometime this evening or after the kids have gone to bed. Take a moment and ask yourselves these questions. Talk about them. Dialogue about them to realign yourselves with the other as well as the purpose that God has given you in your marriage. And if these are things that need healing, statistics tell us there are marriages in this room right now that are falling apart. If your marriage needs healing or maybe just a little bit of course correction, ask God Remember Psalm 139, start with you. Search me, Lord. But as you become more like Christ and your spouse becomes more like Christ, you grow closer together. So ask God to draw you closer together as you grow closer to him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this beautiful picture of your love for us. Lord, that you carry us, that you have a plan for us to become more like you, that, that Jesus, as the bridegroom, you open your arms to us and help us to walk up this ladder to be who God created us to be, Lord, to be more of you. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. We thank you for the love that you have shared with us in that, the forgiveness that you offer us. And Lord, may we be a reflection of that in our marriages of that love and forgiveness and redemption and encouragement and support and kindness and all of the things that are wrapped up in who you are for us, Lord. May we be that for each other. May the world see a reflection of your love in our marriages, not marriages that when the going gets tough, we, we drop it and walk away, Lord, but that we endure, that we forgive, that we support, that we love, that we encourage May we be people who are walking up that ladder closer to you, carrying out the mission that you have given us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.